Let's pray as a church. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you we can gather as a church. Lord, satisfy, with, uh, satisfy us with your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I'm going to get started here, and then in a little bit, we'll turn it over to a panel of youth. And until we get there, I got some scriptures to read for you that I want to just start right out with. And you'll see them up there. I'm just going to read them through, and then we're going to chat about it. So as I shared earlier, we're going two chapters at a time through the Gospel of Luke. And we're highlighting wherever we see the themes of king or kingdom to see what kind of cosmic battle is going on throughout the universe. And I'm going to show you here in chapter 4. Let me read this scripture. It says that Jesus is, was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scripture says he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scripture also says you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him till the next opportunity came. So in that passage, see if you can see where the kingdom of God, or the word kingdom was mentioned. Next passage starts in verse 42. It says, early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. When they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Again, see in that passage, if you can find the first reference we have in the Gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God. And lastly, the scripture we have out of Revelations chapter 12, it puts some of these things in a cosmic scope. It says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out, because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. 
She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. They have been defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come on the earth and on the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. So I'm going to share with you why I put those scriptures together. The key theme is the kingdom of God, which we see present in each of these scriptures. The first verse out of chapter 4 that we'll look at today. We'll go to that slide, please. Mentions that the devil reveals to God, to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He claims he has authority over all of them. He says they're mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give them if you will worship me. To paraphrase Jesus, he said no. (laughs) All right? He says no. And I think about this. As we begin Luke... We're introduced to characters at the beginning of, of any story. And those characters at the beginning of the story carry a lot of meaning throughout the rest of the story. You get introduced to the main characters at the beginning of a movie, right? Here, as we follow this theme of king and kingdoms, we have the prince of demons. We have the devil. And he has some sort of authority, it says here. All the kingdoms of the world. And how did that happen? We looked at it in Revelation as he fell from heaven. But I'll remind you that his authority is limited. In the book of Job, there's a conversation between Satan and God. And God says, you may test him, but you may not touch his life. There are limits where God says, you can go this far and no further. So there's limited authority that Jesus, that, that the devil has. We feel it in the world. And I love the scriptures that show us that tension, that drama, because I don't know about you, but I have tension and drama in my life. I have tension and drama as I engage with others and I see that drama unfolding, and I'm daily reconciling that in my heart. 
Say, God, I see the clash of kings going on here. At times, that causes me to fear. At other times, it causes me to rejoice. But it's no easy task being in the middle of a clash of kings. In the middle of war-torn country. So what are these kings? What are these kingdoms? Well, we'll go here to now Luke chapter 3. The very beginning of this whole passage, it lists off seven kings. It's almost as if the beginning of a good western and the bad guys roll into town. It says, these seven guys, we have Tiberius, the Caesar of the empire of Rome. We have Pontius Pilate. We'll see him later as Jesus stands before him and tells Pontius Pilate, you would have no authority unless it was given to you from my father above. You can go here, but no further, Pontius. We see Herod. Doesn't note it in Luke, but Herod hears that there's a king of the Jews. Herod claims to be king of the Jews. And so what does he do? He does just what King Pharaoh did in our last series. He goes after the youth and the next generation and he tries to wipe them out. I met with a missionary this week that our church supports. He mentioned where he ministers, they missed a generation and they're feeling it. They're paying the price for it. I believe that there's no greater battleground than for the youth of any culture. What Satan did over 2,000 years ago, when King Pharaoh tried to slaughter the people of God at the level of their youth, he did in the time of Jesus. And he genocided the children in Bethlehem to say, I'm going to snuff this out. Because as much as God loves something, Satan hates something. And so, Satan goes after the youth. So this Herod guy, he's in the lineup of bad guys. Mentions his brother Philip was a ruler. Licinius was a ruler. Look at these last two. They're in the household of God residing over the temple. Religious leaders have power and sometimes it's abused. And here, Annas and Caiaphas are listed. Not in the column of good guys, but almost as in a column of seven crowns that seek to destroy what God is doing through King Jesus. Do you feel that tension a little bit building here? Luke isn't just reciting facts. We've got to remember, as Americans, we can't treat this just like a textbook, saying, okay, let's just learn some facts. No, there's statements being made. The statements here are, yeah, there's some kings out there. There's kings out there in your life. There's kings out there in our children's lives. And how do you reconcile that with King Jesus? Last week we looked at the king arrived. We didn't really spell out what that means because the gospel hasn't gotten yet to what it means. All we saw was a young girl named Mary, a youth, who said, you know what? I have hope in that. Versus Zechariah who had lost hope. 
So last week we were left in anticipation of what is this thing that's going to unfold? And this week we see the adversary stepping into the plate. These are seven end-level bosses, if you want to think of it as video games for the youth. All right? Got to get through each of these guys. And Annas and Caiaphas, though they were supposed to lead the religious institution as God wanted, they weren't. Jesus actually stands condemned. These two hatched the plan to crucify him at the end of his life. Go to the next slide, please. The birth of Jesus and what follows is summarized here in Revelations chapter 12 at a cosmic level. As I read to you, the story shows of a mother who's about to give birth to a ruler and Satan stands ready to snatch him up, saying, this is my time to pounce. God delivers Jesus. They escape the genocide in Bethlehem. And as Revelation shares, this ruler ends up ascending to the throne forever to rule with an iron scepter. And in rejoicing it, they say, it has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. But what happens to Satan? He gets cast down to earth. And he rages in fury in great anger, knowing that he has little time. We have an enemy with nothing to lose. And he wants to hit the church hard. What are you hitting him with? It's not through your own power. You're not going to stand a chance. You don't stand before the emperor on your own power. You don't stand before Pontius Pilate on your own power. You don't stand before Herod on your own power. You don't stand before Annas and Caiaphas on your own power. Jesus took it to the Word of God. He knew what it had to say. He claimed it in his life. He knew the tricks of the devil. They're not new. And even when Satan tried to quote Scripture, he said, no, you got it wrong. And at the very end when he said, you shall not test the Lord your God, I loved the, I loved the double meaning in that. And that Jesus shouldn't test the Lord his God. And at the same time, Satan, you should not test the Lord your God. Get out of here. And he left. Until an opportune time. There's a conflict in this clash of kings. There's a tension. What's being played out here in Revelation 12 is a past, present, and a future thing. It's happening around us. As we see through the gospel, we see demons that Jesus is casting out. They're defeated, but they're still there. What's going on? clash of kings is rolling out before our eyes. The enemy is trying to hit us and our youth with everything he's got. 
Yet God loves His church. He has provided what we need. He's given us the Scriptures. He's given us the power of His Spirit. He's given us assemblies as local churches to fight together. Go to the next slide here, please. So these kingdoms of the world, sometimes we think they're just out there. And yet they could be very much in here through the sting of sin. It mentions in 1 John, these love of the world, the things that are not of God. And it mentions three things. Cravings of physical pleasure, cravings of everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. What's wrong with the systems and kings of the world is what's wrong at the heart level and these cravings. And yet again, you see this call at the end of this verse to live out for the kingdom of God, for what He desires, what He pleases. It's much like in the garden when the devil tempted Adam and Eve as he did to Jesus. His tricks aren't new. And he, he said, look how beautiful this fruit looks. Think of what it would like to have it. Think of the status you would gain from it. These are enemies outside the church and within the church to the kingdom of God. Go to one of the last slides here. Luke 4.43. I love at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, the first reference to the kingdom of God. Satan said, look at all of my kingdoms. Don't you want this? Jesus starts to go out and heal people, cast out demons, and then he says, I choose to be about the kingdom of God, the one that's going to last forever, because that is the reason for which I was sent. Laser-like focus. He saw right through the distractions kept his eye on the prize. That's our example to follow. And so, some questions to wrestle with here. And next week, we're actually going to come back to Luke 3 and 4 because there's more to be said about Chapter 3 specifically about John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism that relate to being a king. But today as we think about the clash of kings going on in our culture, I'd like to invite our youth up to discuss what is happening in our world. So we have four youth, young men, and lady, I think, that you guys come on up. And we've got three questions. The first one is, what is the kingdom of God that we're talking about? Second, what are the kingdoms of the world that we see present? And thirdly, who has helped you, what has helped you see the difference in your faith journey?
And so, as I give the youth time to wrap their heads around this, I met with them last two youth groups, so I've got notes of things that they've shared. They've got good things to share. But the first one on the kingdom of God, the way I wanted to kind of frame it to the youth was, what is the world that you hope for? What do you long for to see in your life? So, would anybody, do you just want to grab the mic? And this is, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jerry Flores. I'm a sophomore. I'm 16. So, um, what I put down of what I want to see in my world is, um, I wrote down um, that we all accept each other. Because we're living in a society nowadays where um, there's a bunch of people in different communities. And the problem is we're not accepting each other for who we are. But, and it's been a whole thing for the past couple of years now. And I would like to see that happen. I wrote down a couple other things such as no pain, anger, hate. Because hate can take over and sub part of your life and you don't even know it. You can hate someone, but you're also hating yourself because it's the pain that's taken over you. Um, I also wrote down death, no possible signs of death. Because with death brings the pain. With pain brings the anger. And the anger brings out the worst in you, which is what I feel like and have experiences with in my past of um, lashing out. And through that pain caused my anger. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just hand it right down. Go ahead and introduce yourself and then. I'm Lily. I'm a sophomore. Um, and I wrote down that um, the world that I hope for is that people wouldn't judge each other, that you wouldn't, like, look at someone and then just immediately have an idea of who you think they are. Because most of the time, that assumption you make is not true. And you end up treating someone in a way that could be unfair because of who you think that they could be. Um, I also wrote down that um, you don't, that people like you as a person do not um, act in a way or like dress in a way or something like that. that um, creates a certain idea about you. So, like, um, some people, like, swear just because everyone around them does it. And they do it because it, they think it makes them look cool. And so I would say in a world that I would hope for, there wouldn't be people who do things in a way just to get attention. Hi, I'm Noah. I'm in eighth grade, and... The world I hope for is a world filled not with lies. Lies, they don't get you anywhere. You just get more in trouble by doing lies, and it's not telling the truth. If you tell the truth, then you'll be fine. Um, other thing, the other things I wrote down were um, depression and suicide. Depression, you don't want to be sad. It's not, it's like, it's out of your comfort zone, like, you don't feel safe. Suicide, it's, 
not a good thing either. Nobody wants to feel like they want to hurt themselves and be frightened by everyone every single day that they're gonna get bullied or they're not gonna succeed. And one more thing that I wrote down was drugs and alcohol. It, if you think it makes you feel better, it really doesn't. It makes you feel more down and depressed. Drugs, they can kill you. They can't, they're not gonna help you in any other way than they'll do now. I am Daniel Mayer, and I'm a junior, and what I want this world to look like, I just want Jesus to come back, to be honest with you. Uh, Because once he comes back, all that other stuff, that's gone, never coming back again, and can't wait for that, so. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so send the mic back down this way. Um. I just want to make a couple notes. <clears throat> For youth living in, if you want to throw that last slide up, there's more areas of influence than these seven, but you see different areas of influence. And for youth living in a culture among kingdoms of the enemy, how do you think they're going to feel? You just heard it. They feel unsafe. They feel unaccepted. They feel pressured to conform in order to feel safe. That's where going on a retreat to a camp can remind them, guys, you can be safe. There's another culture here. We accept you. Your Facebook profile picture doesn't have to look a certain way. You can be real, and we will really love you. One of them shared that when they came to church, they felt that. They felt people accepting them. They didn't have to fit in. Someone was willing to show them around. It meant a lot. Because these kids are constantly navigating uncharted territory. They need people to come alongside them to say, hey, whatever you got going on, I'll be your friend. To show them what it feels like to be in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. I think the church should look like that, shouldn't it? Hasn't the kingdom arrived? And isn't it on the move through the church? That is our challenge to do that. Not just for our youth, but for anyone who walks through these doors. Out of the kingdom of darkness, they need to see a kingdom of light. Our second question is, what is it not? And uh, if you flip on the back page, I got our notes from the conversation. So what are the kingdoms of the world? How do you see your peers being persuaded, tempted to conform to in order to fit in. What's going on out there? What, what are you seeing amongst your friends? Oh, okay. So, um, 
a lot of things are happening in high schools um, right now, but um, it depends on what feel. I feel like it depends on what crowd or group you are in high school because there's a bunch of them. Um, I'm not saying all of them are bad because they're not. Some of them are pretty good, but I feel like for a person to be accepted nowadays into like a friend group or um, a or have a person like you is um, doing something that you don't want to do, going against your mentality and everything you stand for, going against your morals and everything. Um, you're just going against yourself completely. And um, here um, in church, I can, like you can feel, like you can feel the acceptance in the air, like um, Pastor Rob said. Um, like you don't have to change yourself to fit in with other people. You can be your own person. You don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to do something you don't want to do for a person to like you. And um, nowadays, people are doing, um, like they're going to parties and the persons and their buddies asking them to take a drink or something you don't want to, but you end up taking it anyway because you know what? You're, you're going to want to fit in a party just to make the people there like you. And it's not going to turn out well for you in the long run. So it's all about respecting yourself. Okay, respecting yourself. So, yeah, that's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Um, one of the big um, kingdoms in the world, I guess, is probably um, gender confusion um, or sexuality kind of ideals, um, that you're attracted to the same gender or you want to change your gender to be um, from male to female or um, female to male. And um, that's just... <laughs> That goes again with the trying to fit in to society. And there is a lot of taking away who you are when you hmm. change that part of yourself that's supposed to be, yes, I am this, and not supposed to ever change. Um, uh, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. <laughs> um, the kingdom of the world is what people think about you. The more important thing to think about is you, not anybody else, but not what they think. Because if you try to be someone that you're not supposed to be, then that's not you. You're not following you. The most important thing is to be you and not to follow other people into other temptations. Just be you. Don't be like other people. It's really bad. Don't do it. Okay, so something else that's like a kingdom of this world, in my opinion, is uh, swearing or cussing. That's like a really big thing now. Uh, I actually have a lot of friends that do use not the nicest language, and uh, a lot of the time, not for my friends anyway, uh, we'll be in a conversation and I'm not the one swearing, and uh, I kind of get mocked about it. Uh, it's another thing, people mock Jesus 
for uh, whatever reasons, like because I don't swear, I get made fun of it for, made fun of it for it, and uh, like they just say things like, uh, yeah, he can't swear because he's a church boy or Jesus boy, those type of things. It's not really, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty sad nowadays, but can't really do anything except show him love, the same love that Jesus showed him, so. Yeah, thanks, guys. Again, I think you're seeing that theme of wanting to feel accepted, and I think that's a genuine desire placed by God. I think the world can take that and distort it to have people say, well, I'll just do whatever I want to do then kind of thing. But the starting point of the gospel is that we're accepted. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was love before we earned it. never about earning it, is it? And then we're taught how to live a better way out of that love so that we can avoid the pain that comes with sin and rebellion against God. I think it's good that hearts are yearning to be accepted If they don't find it in the kingdom of God, where are they going to go look? What other option do they have? The more you get to know people, what starts with a normal yearning, you see how those yearnings get denied, it ends up making sense the choices they turn to. It does. And the place to break that pattern, that journey, is right at the beginning where say, no, let's help you find the kingdom of God. Let's go to the last question here, which is, all four of you are courageously standing up front at a church sharing about the kingdom of God. And that indicates that you're breaking the mold. All right? You're breaking the mold. Yeah. So what has helped you do that? And I know in my life, there's a lot of shoulders that I'm standing on. My parents, grandparents, pastors, Sunday school volunteers. I visited my home church a couple weeks ago and my fourth grade Sunday school teacher was greeting at the door. His hair was a little grayer, a little whiter. And he looked at me with squinty eyes and goes, is that Robbie? <laughs> I told my baby and my wife, I go, yeah, yeah it is. How are you, Mr. Underwood? You know? We're all standing on shoulders. As Jesus was intentional to know, yes, I was sent to proclaim the kingdom of God. What was on his mind was 
that people could stand on his shoulders, which we all are. And so, is there any event in your life or person in your life that was significant to help you see, you know what? I don't actually have to go with the flow of these kingdoms of the world. I'm actually noticing there's a different way that I can live. Oof, you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> okay, um, trying to make it as short as possible, okay. So, um, I, so I wasn't always a believer. I, was, I hated going to church. Okay, I admit that. I hated it. Fall asleep every single time I sit down. Um, I used to go to St. Patrick's Church um, up by the high school. So, Pastor Kevin, he's a really nice guy, really good dude. I get to hang out with him every Wednesday, so it's really fun. But back to the whole um, thing, um, I started going to this thing called YFC. It's uh, Youth for Christ. It starts around age, like fifth graders on and up through eighth grade. And um, uh, I have had a lot of people there help me find my way. Um, first step was um, going to camp. It was Sunstream Camp by Boone. Um, I had lost my um, watch that my dad gave to me the day before I left. It was a nice watch, a really nice watch. Um, and I lost it, and I was in tears. Like, I was searching everywhere, high and low, to try to find it. And the person that helped me out the most during that time was a guy named Tim Hoffer. Hofer. He works at Hampton Hardware here in Hampton. And um, he sat down and prayed with me. And as, done with, as soon as we got done praying, um, the camp counselor came up and said, hey, is this your watch? <laughs> My eyes were literally as big as oranges. I'm like, what the heck? So, um, and um, I think it was near the end of the week where um, we went outside and said, do you want to follow Jesus? And we had to write down on this paper, um, yes or no, and why? I said yes, thankfully. Um, I said yes because he is more than just a fantasy fairy tale. And um, he is more than just what people make him out to be. He is looking out for you. He's been there since day one. Some of you might say top G or something like that. Um, so... Um, he, that's when I finally realized that he is more than um, what we can imagine him to be. He, he's been there since day one. He's not going to judge you for how you look or what you wear or where you come from. He loves you. So, that's all I got. What's up, Jerry? Um, for me, there have been a lot of people who have helped me through my life, I guess. Um, one of um, probably the most important, actually, is my friend named Hannah Trueblood from um, Aiken, Minnesota. Um, when I started going to church for the first time, like ever, in fourth grade, um, this new church had just started, and she was there, and she welcomed me in and kind of showed me around and showed me what the love of God really looks like through her. Um, and she helped show me what like a true Christian looks like and um, 
it was kind of sad that she was homeschooled, so I didn't get to see her at school. Um, so I saw her twice a week instead of like every day, like you would see most of your friends. But we still had a really big bond. And she is one of the reasons I came to know Jesus. Um, and then there have also been other people. Um, let's see. When I... We were, we were doing like a visitation weekend or something here for when my dad was um, going to be hired. Um, we came down and just so that me and my family could meet some of the people here before we actually came to church and were bombarded by people. Um, so some of the youth, and I specifically remember three people running up to me and just sitting down and we're very talkative and energetic and um, and it was just, it really showed me like what this church is, like who you guys are. Um, and then the last one is probably just everyone at camp last year because um, my two counselors, um, Leah and Keys, <laughs> were amazing. And they also led me to rededicate my life to Jesus. And then I volunteered for two weeks, was like filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I went back to camp as a volunteer for two weeks last year, at the end of the second week, I was rebaptized by Holland and Leah. So I, it's been a journey and there's been a lot of people to build me and Help me grow. Okay, um, this starts in sixth grade. So there was a new kid in my class. And one day when I was getting on the bus, I sat right next to him in the next seat. And he just started talking to me and like, are you talking to me? I don't know what you're doing. And... Um, <laughs> He started talking to me. I'm like, nobody ever talks to me. This is weird. Um, so I started talking to him for a little bit, and then we started becoming friends. Started sitting together at lunch. It was very fun. Um, then he recommended me to youth group. And I was like, I don't want to go because I don't really like church that much, much because I used to go to a church that was really boring. I'm sorry. But... Um, <laughs> Um, then I went my, for my first day, and it w turned out to be actually really fun. And after that, I started going every single Wednesday. And then he recommended me to church, which I'm finally here today. I haven't been here yet. This is my first day here. And it has been really fun. It's been an awesome journey with this person. And, yeah, I love him. Okay, so mine, uh, number one, I find it kind of funny that Silas is here because uh, my person that I went to, okay, so it's a little bit of my testimony, actually. Uh, fifth grade, I was going through some really difficult things, and uh, we have this night, boys' night, where we all go and uh, sit by a campfire, and they uh, give their testimonies, and then they usually, like... Uh, 
we can either leave or we can sit and pray for a while. And so I decided to sit and pray for a while. And uh, one of the counselors came up and started uh, talking to me. And he knew exactly what I was going through somehow. I really don't know how. It was really cool. But uh, I'm going to be honest, I cried. And it wasn't allergies. (laughs) But yeah, uh, ever since then, Pine Lake has just always changed my life. And uh, I like to say that for this summer, I'm going to be a LIT for the whole summer this year. So... So we have a decision to make as a church. And as I reflect on this part of Luke, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. He goes in the wilderness to be tempted by other kingdoms. The wilderness is not where the promised land is, by the way. And then he goes back to the promised land, crosses the Jordan River, just like we left off with Moses and the people of God when they crossed the Jordan to go into the land God had called them to take and conquer. And Jesus crossed that line. He said, yeah, I'm going to be about the kingdom of God. Where are you on that line? In the different aspects of your life, where are you on that line? You could decide today to cross that and say, yes, I'm going to go into that land that God has called me to. Even if it's scary, even if there's arrows being shot your way, But the Lord protects his people. We have to remember that promise in Scripture. He leads us to the kingdom everlasting. And so there is no fear in that. There is safety. There is acceptance. There is a burning desire and heart of God to bring others along with us.